chapter 4, Lord's Will, in just a few moments. But again, please let me take this opportunity to welcome everyone. And as I always like to remind you, it's an honor to stand before you. It's a joy and a pleasure to see you. And what a pleasure it is to come together and worship God in spirit and in truth upon the first day of the week with those of both light and precious faith. So we want to acknowledge that. We want to know that we appreciate that. And that's something that we do not take for granted and do not view lightly the joy of worshiping with brothers and sisters in Christ. If there was a better prayer led and offered than was offered just a few moments ago, I sure would like to hear it. Amen. Thank you, Brother Ken. A fantastic prayer. A fantastic job by Brother Daniel directing our thoughts in song. We are so blessed here. The eldership that we have, the deaconship that we have, the vibrant membership that we enjoy, and the willingness of every member to serve in a scriptural capacity. And everyone does such a great job. So please allow me to thank you, to recognize you for everything that you do, right down to the maintenance and upkeep of the building. Everything is appreciated greatly. And we're all in this together, and we all use our talents to serve and put the Lord first in what we're doing. And you are certainly of gratitude this evening, this day, and every day for what you do. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and starting in verse 1. Let's talk about this evening the care and concern that the Apostle Paul had for Christian people and what we can glean from the care and the concern that he had that we may be able to model ourselves in care and concern for our brothers and sisters in Christ exemplifying Christ. Please remember that it was the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1 that said, exemplify me as I exemplify Christ. So we're always striving to be like the source. We're always striving to be most like the Master, Jesus Christ. In verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Therefore, Seeing we have received this ministry and we have received mercy, we 
faint not. We've done work. There's further work to do. And the apostle says, I'm going to see to it. I'm not going to faint. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep on that straight and narrow path, keeping my eyes focused on the prize, the heavenly prize that is before me. Verse 2, but have renounced. That means to do away with. Don't want anything to do with it. I have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the Word of God deceitfully. That's things that can happen. Individuals can handle the Word of God with trickery in a deceitful manner. And they do that to benefit themselves. The Apostle Paul says, I've renounced that. I would never do that. I am not interested in that. And I'm not interested in covering up sin and misbehavior with crafty speech or actions. Instead, by the manifestation, that's to make something evident, of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, I'm going to live my life in such a way that I am an encouragement to you instead of a discouragement. And I'm not going to use my liberties in such a way to cause a brother or sister in Christ to stumble. I'm going to consider the thought processes and the conscience of those around me. And I'm going to be pleasing in the sight of God by doing just that. Verse 3. But if our gospel... The apostolic doctrine, the message that we deliver. If our gospel be hid, why it's hid to those that do not believe. If you believe in Christ, what we stand for and what we're doing will be manifest. It will be evident in your sight that we are working to serve the living God. Now, there is help with this. Individuals choose not to believe the truth. And the gospel is hid from them not because it's not forefront, because we have a great adversary. We have one that tempts us, that hurls the fiery darts of temptation, that is an enemy to everything that is good. And he's identified in verse 4 of this very chapter. In whom the God, and notice that will be lowercase. That's not referring to our Father whom is in heaven. That's referring to the Prince of the air, the ruler of this physical world, Satan himself. But the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. If you believe not, you find yourself lost. 
There is a correlation between verse 3 at the end and verse 4. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. That's what Jesus said. Who is the image of God. Paul reminds us, the reader, of that should shine unto them. So you have an adversary. The gospel is prevalent and available, but he's working overtime to blind your mind and to get you to turn a blind eye to what is right. That's the God of this world who works to do just that. And verse 5, For we preach not ourselves. Why well, I could stand before you and I could share with you wisdom according to me, which is no wisdom at all. I could bring you opinions of great philosophers, individuals that people revere. But what did the Bible just say? What did the Apostle Paul just say? What should we be concerned with in our preaching, in our teaching, and in our service unto the Lord? Well, according to the Bible, we strive not to preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. There's the message. There's what can save us. There's what's essential and important. The preaching of Jesus and ourselves, your servants, for the sake of Jesus. So why do I stand before you? Why do our elders rule well and find themselves worthy of double honor? Why do our deacons serve? Why is the membership faithful to the services of the church? To study to pray without ceasing according to God's Word is to be a service unto you for the sake of Jesus Christ that He would receive the glory in everything that we do. And we're modeling ourselves after the apostolic example that goes back to the original source, which is Jesus Christ. I heard a disgruntled preacher some time ago, say this, I don't work for the elders. That was his statement. And that struck me very odd, for I thought, if you work for God, obviously God expects you to respect the elders of the congregation. So unless the elders are doing something anti-scriptural, you need to respect them. How could I make such a statement unless I'm working to please myself and I have forgot that everything that I do is to the glory of God and it was God that taught us that the elders are the shepherds of the flock. They are the pastors of the flock. They are the overseers. They are the presbyters. And we are to respect them. And there is to be a plurality. Well, I could never make such a statement. And I was bothered by that statement. If we follow the apostolic doctrine, 
We're following what God put in order. Acts 2.42 says that the early disciples devoted themselves to prayer, fellowship, the breaking of bread, that's the Lord's Supper, and the apostolic teaching. That's God's Word that taught us that. There was care and there was concern for brothers and sisters in Christ in Corinth and that being exemplified by the teaching of the Apostle Paul here. Turn with me, please. We read this this morning, but I want to look at it once again. Would you turn with me, please, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. And when you arrive there, let's read verse 13 and 14, which we read in Bible study this morning. And then we will go to a parallel scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll pick back up right there, and we'll finish up our sermon, Lord's Will, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. But to set the stage once again, and certainly this has agreement with 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and the first five verses. It all goes hand in hand. For the Bible does not contradict itself. It complements itself for its right. In the book of Ephesians chapter 1, and in verse 13, listen to these words. And then think about the Scripture reading that Brother Robin shared with us just a few moments ago. In whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. You hear the word of truth first and you trust the teaching of that word. That's the order. The gospel of your salvation in whom also after that you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Now keep that in mind. And let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And let's look at a parallel Scripture. Starting, please, in verse 10. And that parallel Scripture, namely, is verse 13. But setting the stage here once again, let's start in verse 10, read forward, so we have a full understanding of the context of what is being taught Holy Spirit inspired once again by the Apostle Paul and Sylvanius here, servants of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and starting in verse 10. You are witnesses, the Bible says. And God also is a witness how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. There's the example again. There's respecting the conscience of others again, just as we read it previously in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul reminds believers of that once again. 
my conduct is fulfilled for your conscience. I conduct myself a certain way to encourage you and to press forward for you. Verse 11, As you know how we exhorted, that's to warn, and to comfort and charged every one of you as a father doeth his children. Now what's that charge? What's that expectation? The very next verse tells us that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you. Now how does He call us? Calls us through the message of the gospel. And the gospel is for all. And it's the same for all. And there's no favoritism with God. And Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verse 16 and following, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power unto salvation for all who believe to the Jew first and then to the Greek. For the just shall live or walk by faith. If you want to be justified in the sight of God, it takes doing. It takes a walk. Faith takes action. Faith is not a name. Faith is a verb. Faith means I believe you, Lord, and I'm willing to do what you ask of me because I love you. And I will demonstrate the love that I have for you by striving to be pleasing in thy sight. God called us. We are to walk worthy of that calling. And He has called us in the kingdom of glory. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13 teaches that at one time, we were walking in darkness. But when we believed in Christ, He did something for us. Colossians 1.13 says that He translated us out of darkness into the kingdom of light that belongs to His dear Son. And that kingdom, in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18 is identified as the church. Jesus paralleled the two. I will give you the keys to the kingdom and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Jesus saw them hand in hand and if you are a Christian today, you have been translated by God Himself out of the darkness of the world and into the kingdom of light of His dear Son. And that purchase price for you and for me is the shed blood of our righteous Savior. So walk worthy. Verse 13, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Key in, please, on this verse. It's the crux of the matter. For this cause also, we thank God without ceasing. Why? Because when you receive the Word of God, 
which you heard of us, apostolic doctrine. The us refers to Paul and the other apostles. We taught you the truth. You believe that truth. And we thank God without ceasing that you did. Let's continue. You received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. And it doesn't stop there. It's not only that you believe the word of God, but the word of God has activity within the believer. And here's the activity which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Now that corresponds perfectly to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. And since the gospel is for all, Paul gave it to the Thessalonians as well, and the Holy Spirit kept everything together, and now it's revealed unto us in the written Word, that when you believe God, it effectually works in your life. It bothers you. It's not that I don't do wrong. I do a plenty of wrong. But it bothers me. Because I know the Word of God. And when I know I've made a mistake, it goes to work effectually in the person that believes. I'm convicted by what I've done. I bring it to God. As a Christian, I ask Him for forgiveness. And then I'm interested in trying to put that behind me to the best of my ability and having repentance that works godly sorrow. Yes, I'm sorry for what I did, but I'm going to go a step further and try not to repeat the same mistake. Repentance worketh godly sorrow. And Acts 17.30 says that God calls all men everywhere to repent. I want you to know that repentance is a term that means an about face. You're going this direction, you repent, you turn around and you go the opposite direction. It's a military term. Stop the direction you're going and go the right direction. That's repentance. I'm sorry and I'm willing to do something about it. Am I preaching sinless perfection? Please shake your head like this. I would be a liar. And the truth is not in me. We're going to continue to come up short. Why? Because of this. The flesh is weak. The Spirit's willing. My attitude is willing regarding what the Holy Ghost has inspired in God's Word. But I had this restriction. And even Paul said he had a thorn and the things that he knew to do, he did the opposite. And it bothered him. That's why we need Jesus. He's willing to forgive you if we're willing to respond to Him and strive to do the best we can in His sight. And when we do make a mistake, we ask for forgiveness and we strive to get back on the straight and narrow path. It is not okay to say, I'm not willing to do anything about my wrongdoing. God will just have to accept me how I am. That is an arrogant, 
untoward and unscriptural attitude. It's anti-scriptural, as a matter of fact. But when you realize you're a sinner saved by grace, when you make mistakes, you want to make it right in the sight of God. You want to learn from it, and you want to strive to do better. That's the Word of God effectually working in the life of a believer. Verse 14. 1 Thessalonians 2, please. For you, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. There's always an opposition. There's always someone to try to drive you in the wrong direction if you will allow them to do so. We have to stand up against it and we have to stand firm upon the pillar of truth which is Jesus Christ. We are a part of the church of God. The church of God was purchased by Christ Himself by shedding His own precious blood. And it is just that, worthy and precious. And the church of God is pictured as the body of Christ. And as His body, with Christ as the head, as individual members, we want to please the head of the church, which is Christ. He is the chief cornerstone. That word that effectually works in you, we want to live according to the tenets of it. And we appreciate it as the church of God. We give credit to God and to Christ. It's His body. And we are Christians, first called Christians in Antioch, Acts eleven twenty six. We are disciples of Christ. We're followers. We're trying to be the most like the head, Christ or God, that we can be. Verse 16, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles. There were Jewish individuals who were not interested in allowing the gospel to go to those that they saw as lesser than themselves. How sad. Who killed the Lord. Let's get verse 15. I went ahead. Please forgive me. Verse 15. Who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets. They have persecuted us and they do not please God and they're contrary to all men. And they're contrary that they forbid us to speak to Gentiles that they may be saved. Emphasis on the speaking of God's Word for salvation once again to fill up their sins always for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. They don't please God and God has paid attention. It's bad enough to live a sinful life but when you purposely get in the way of someone else being able to hear the truth, God will destroy you to the uttermost is what the Bible says. But think about Romans chapter 1. They not only perform evil, but they roundly approve of all the other evil that is done by others. These Jewish individuals that Paul is referring to of the same generation who said... Give us Barabbas. That's why he said they killed Jesus. Jesus allowed it to happen. God allowed it to happen. 
because He loved you and He had a plan to establish. But the Jewish individuals cried out and said, let His blood be on our heads and hands and also on our generation. Give us Barabbas the criminal and you crucified the Lord who they knew had done no wrong. They even tried Him at night which was against the law of the land where they were. And God allowed it on. But Paul reminds them that these same Judaizing teachers, this is nothing new. They sought to kill Jesus. Their forefathers killed the prophets in the Old Testament. God would send prophets to warn them and teach the truth. They didn't like the Word and they would kill them. And God hasn't forgotten. He says they fill up always to their own destruction to the uttermost. So if the opposite of a statement is true, then we need to live a faithful life to the best of our ability. And we need to make sure that we are an assistance to others in their faithful life as well. And one way that we can do that is by setting a good example for others to follow and respecting the consciences of those around us. Verse 17, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, but not in heart. Think about that. My heart, I may not be with you physically, but my heart goes out to you. My spiritual intent, my care, and my concern is with you even in my physical absence for a short time, endeavor the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. We love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we're away, we miss one another. But that doesn't mean that every day that we are parted, we do not think of one another, pray for one another, and have concern for one another. Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again. But guess what? The God of this world got in the way. That's what he says. But Satan hindered us. He's present as well. And he's like that roaring lion that we read about. Seeking whom he may devour. And when He sees that you're faithful and you're teaching others and you're concerned with God's will and you're trying to set an example, He will set His sights on you. And if He can devour you, He knows what that would do to others and how it would discourage them. And what a victory He would seal if we allow it. We have to be on our guard. For it was the Apostle who also said in another place, we are not ignorant of His schemes. God has warned us of the devices of the evil one. So don't be surprised when the world despises you. Don't be surprised when the turmoils of life come your way, when you have to endure trials and tribulations. You're probably doing something right. Satan will put things in your way to cause you to stumble. But if you'll lean on God, if you'll put your faith and trust in His Word, He'll always make the decision 
to put His kingdom, the church, first, you will be able to endure and rise above anything that Satan places in your way. Why? Because He that is within you, Christian, is stronger than He that is within the world. And that's the prince of this world, Satan himself. Verse 19 and 20, bringing our sermon to a close. For what is our hope? What's the hope of the apostle? What's our joy? What's our crown of rejoicing? Are not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? That's our joy. That's our crown. Any stars in your crown? As we sing, on the day of judgment, when you see someone that you've had influence with, that's a star to you. That's a crown unto you. That's a joy unto you. If one other person that you planted a seat with finds themselves in heaven when this life is over, be no finer feeling in the world. Nothing that would make you more proud than to see someone buried with Christ and rise to walk in a newness of life and be added to the church upon their obedient faith by God Himself and to know that you had a small part in it. Now God receives all the glory, but we work in the harvest and He sent us into all the world to preach the gospel, and to bring this message, go into all the world and tell them, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not will be condemned. Isn't that simple? If you believe, you'll do what God tells you to do. And if you don't believe, you won't. It'll cause condemnation to come unto you. And in verse 20, for you are our glory, and you are our joy. Thessalonians, you're special to me. That's what the apostles are saying. Your faithfulness is special unto me. And for the sake of God, I labor. I respect you. I remember you. And I want to be an assistance and a help to you along the way. Don't we feel the same about one another? That we're willing to bear the load of one another. We're willing to pray on behalf of one another. When we lose someone so dear to us, we're there with a phone call, a card, a visit to the home or the funeral home, doing whatever we can to show the brotherly love and kindness enjoyed. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. And when it's all said and done, in the fullness of time when God sees fit and we're together there, there's a crown. There's true joy, and that joy is eternal. If you are present this evening and you have a need to render faithful obedience to your Lord's invitation, please know it would be our joy to assist you. If you believe in Jesus Christ and you realize that the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please Him, and you also realize the Bible says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. If you have that faith, and you're willing to turn away from your sins by repenting, to confess that faith before this congregation, making that good confession publicly, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if you would be so inclined in willingness 
to be buried with Christ. He'll meet you there in the watery grave of baptism for the remission of your past sins. God will save you. Why? Because you merit it? No. Because you earned it? No. Because He's good. Because He's holy. Because He sent His Son and His Son paved the way for everlasting life. And His Son's words have taught us what to do. Do I have enough faith to take Jesus at His Word? We're asking you to do just that this evening if you have a need. And if you've obeyed those blessed commands, but you desire the prayers of Christian people on your behalf for restoration back to the church, we're willing to assist you with that. Or if you just have uncertainties, needs in your life and you would like someone to pray with you and for you, we want to be of service as well. Whatever your need may be, if we can help you in a scriptural capacity, won't you come as we stand together and blend our voices for your encouragement. All things are ready.